If you have your Bibles with you this morning, uh, we invite you. I know you might have it on your phone. You might have it, uh, you know, as as this, whatever form you have. Uh, turn with me to one of the Psalms. Uh, I, I love to preach topical, you know, themes, uh, but but my my heart, uh, my delight is to actually preach passages of Scripture. And uh, Psalm 97 is what I felt drawn to as I was praying and pondering about what God would want to speak to us here today. And it's a psalm that I've come back to from time to time over the years. And I really felt that God brought me back to it again for myself. I, I love this season of my life. You know, there was a time when I was pastoring and had other responsibilities. So sometimes, you know, when you're pastoring a church, you need to feed the flock and give them a balanced diet. So, you know, there's sometimes where you feel, okay, the flock needs this, the flock needs that, whatever. But in this season of life, I love to preach what God's speaking to me, uh, what God's speaking to me personally. I have the luxury of doing that. So this is something that God has been speaking to me as I've felt drawn to it. And so I just want to share it with you this morning. It's kind of like one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Uh, and, and, and so if you can receive it in that way. In fact, let's pray. God, thank you for the bread, even as Verna was reading out of Psalm 19. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, and we know they're acceptable when they're your words coming out of us, out of that innermost reservoir of your word as we've been exposed to it and saturate ourselves with it. And so, oh God, we pray that you will bring your word alive to us today. We need to hear it. And now word as never before. And so God, thank you that you are the faithful one to speak to us out of this precious word that you've left with us to be renewed and to be refreshed and to be revitalized and to be enlightened. And so we submit ourselves to your word today. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to just read this. Uh, I'm I'm not going to draw from all of it. But uh, taking really a couple of points from the first part of it and then the latter part of it. But let's just read this, uh, these 12 verses. Uh, the Lord reigns. I like the living, uh, New Living Translation. Uh, and I'd like to just uh, back up. The Lord is king. Say that with me. The Lord is king. I like the reign of the king. The reign that it has. Psalm 97, the Lord is king, or the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up all his enemies. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples have seen his glory. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images who boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad. And the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. 
For thou art the Lord most high over all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserves the souls of his godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown like seed for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Uh, several years ago, in fact, quite a few years ago, Vernon and I had the privilege to go to Russia. Uh, our son was actually there uh, in missions, uh, on a mission team uh, in Moscow, Russia. And it was, it was not too long after the curtain had come down, and there was just kind of a real influx of, of, of mission uh, efforts that were going in. And Scott had the privilege to go in there with the team. And so we were looking forward to visit him. Uh, it had been months and months and months since we had seen our son. And so he was not married at the time, but uh, he was there on the team. And so uh, we made plans to come and spend some time. In fact, I was going to be teaching in the Bible school there. I was looking forward to that opportunity. I mean, just, you know, God was just moving in a phenomenal way. And so there was this anticipation. And so, uh, of course, you know, Russia is kind of a unique place. We've done a lot of traveling through the years. But this is a unique place. So Scott told us that in order to make that trip and to get into Russia, we needed a letter of invitation. A letter of invitation. So, okay, uh, he got that letter of invitation, sent it to us, and, and I just figured, you know, okay, great. You know, we're all set. Uh, got, you know, we had our passport in order, had a letter of invitation, and so we get on the plane at Philly, uh, Philadelphia, and uh, fly to, I think there was one other stop, uh, pardon, Detroit, and then to Amsterdam, and then Amsterdam to Moscow. So we had been en route like about 24 hours. It was 9 o'clock at night. We were just weary and just so glad finally to get there, and Scott was going to be meeting us at the airport. And so we're waiting in line to, uh, to get through immigration, and we're talking with the guy right there, and, and just somehow the, the subject of visa came up. I said, visa? I said, I have a letter of invitation. And, and, and he got real sober. I thought, this is not good. I just had that sense. That's not good. And if it's not good anywhere else, it's really not good in Russia. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> so we approached the person, uh, immigration official. And in fact, this guy that we had talked to, uh, you know, I thought, wow, that's good. You know, we have somebody because he could speak Russian and he could speak American. Uh, and so we, we come to that person and they see our documents. Of course, you know, I already had this premonition that this is not going to be good. This guy comes back to us and he says, they won't let you in. In, in fact, you have to fly back to Amsterdam at your expense. You can't come in because you don't have a visa. Suddenly, all this anticipation and looking forward to was just clouded over because we were in, in, in deep trouble. So he went back again to the official. In fact, the actual airline personnel got in on it too, the airline that we were flying. And finally, he came back and said, okay, they're going to allow you to stay in the airport overnight. Uh, and then in the morning, you you can negotiate with the consulate. So, you know, 
you know, we don't have to go back to Amsterdam. We can stay in the airport, except that the airport was much colder than it is here this morning. And I didn't really have, you know, a heavy coat. I was traveling in the airplane, you know, climate-controlled uh, cabin. And, and so uh, Scott somehow was able to come in to us. They, they marched us off to this room where we were going to stay overnight. And, and Scott came in. Of course, he was so apologetic. You know, I'm sorry this happened. I, you know, I he assumed that we knew that we had to get, with that letter of invitation, would get us a visa. And we assumed that Russia's a different place, totally different place. It's the letter of invitation that gets us in. I mean, letter of invitation. Wouldn't you think the same thing? <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yes. yes. <laughs> and so uh, he, he said, I mean, he felt bad. We said, it's not your fault. I mean, it's just the way it is. We just assumed that we were okay. But we weren't okay. And, man, as that night wore on, I tell you, that cold just settled in. I mean, they didn't give us any consideration. No food, no, you know, no nothing. Uh, we couldn't even lay down on the bench because there were these armrests and you couldn't even lay down. And so we kind of slumped there. And, you know, I thought for sure, you know, you'd try and go to sleep. And uh, surely an hour has passed and I'd look at my watch five minutes. I mean, it was the eternal night. And, I'm, you know, this is a longer story. I want to quickly get to the end here. But uh, it seemed like eternity. Uh, they said that the consulate was going to be at 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 9.30, 10. Finally, Scott came in, I think it was a little after 10. He said, uh, we've been trying all morning to get a hold of the consulate. We can't get a hold of it. And finally, the consulate came in, I think it was like 10.30, quarter of 11. And for 150 crisp American dollars times three, because our daughter was with us, 150 times three, you know how much that is? Anybody good on that? $450, they were going to let us out and, you know, get, a, get us a visa that would have cost us, I think, maybe $20, $25 a piece otherwise. But at that point, we were ready uh, to get out of jail. And it wasn't free, get out of jail free, but it was get out of jail. Uh, and it felt like jail. Uh, so, um, you know, we, the point is that it's a great story. I mean, it, it's great now. It wasn't so great then many stories are, but the point is, we thought we were okay. We thought that it was just, you know, we were, we were sad, but we weren't. And I think that that's, uh, I have a sense that, you know, in the world that we are today, that many Christians think they're okay, that they're right, and they're okay, and, you know, of course the world thinks they're okay, but there's some things that are missing, some things that are not uh, in place that can help us to navigate through the challenge of where we find ourselves today. We've already had enough commentary uh, on what we saw on the screen here to realize that we're in a troubled world. In fact, we're in a, a wacky world. We, we could spend all day. I don't think I have to give any illustrations of that, right? Are we all agreed we live in a wacky world? Can I hear an amen this morning? And so the title of my message is Vital Wisdom in a Wacky World. Vital Wisdom. Just like we needed the wisdom to know that we needed a visa and didn't have one, I believe that we can come back to this chapter and have some vital wisdom that can help us. Are you with me this morning? Practical, good wisdom. For we need the wisdom for, uh, from above.
navigate through what we are headed for, believe me. Thank God for the word that gives us that. Amen? And the word is relevant for 2016. So it's in that spirit that I want us to look at what the psalmist here is writing. And we've already established the fact that the Lord is king. See, uh, many times, and this is, was already referenced, that, that we, we, we somehow think that that you know the world is just going to hell and it's getting worse and worse and worse. The enemy is having more and more and more power. And, and though we may not say it like this, we're thinking that God is getting smaller, smaller, smaller. The enemy is getting bigger, bigger, bigger. That's not the truth. It feels like that. But the fact is that the Lord is king. The Lord has the last word. See, our, as we listen to our newscasters and so forth, we'll get that slant. And if we believe everything that we hear, and we are so gullible, if we believe everything we hear, that's the message, that's the perspective that we walk around with. See, and that's what our society is feeding us, and that is not the truth. The Lord is king. Say that with me. The Lord is king. Life is war. Life is war. And there are two kingdoms. There are many nations, but there are only two kingdoms kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness. There are no in-betweens. See? And there's a warfare going on between kingdoms. Isn't that true? See? And so we need to understand that, particularly in America. Well, so many times we think America, that everything revolves around us. That's not true, brothers and sisters. God's plan is so much bigger than the United States. And it's easy for us to get that perspective, if we listen to that voice around us that represents the kingdom of darkness. So that's why we come back to this. And the Lord reigns. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the people of God rejoice. That the world, though it is wacky, it is not out of control. Isn't that true? Now, uh, two basic headings. Uh, This is kind of very... uh, Homiletical. I don't normally preach homiletical, but I've got two main points. Okay, number the first one is that we want to look at is uh, a vital revelation of God. The vital revelation of God. Thank God, Linda, for those songs that you led us in this morning. It was so God-centered. I just, I really affirm you in that. So many of the songs today are so me-centered, I-centered, my needs, da 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 da. But how great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? See, those are the songs we need to be singing. And we see the truth of that, in essence, in this first section. And I want to give you four things that relate to vital revelation of God that we have to center in and focus on and maintain on a daily basis. Keep our heads straight in a wacky world. So vital revelation of God points under that. And then secondly, vital revelation from God. Get the difference? Four things that we need to know about God, revelation of God, and then two things that God would speak to us that give us a sense of where to give our emphasis and our focus in this wacky world. Vital revelation from God. Things that God is saying to us today out of this passage. Okay? Are you with me? Okay, number one, vital revelation of God. We see in verse 
characteristics of God. See, the enemy plays with our understanding of who God is. He's not just some superhuman. He is God. He's an entity altogether different. Well, not quite altogether because we are created in his image, but you understand what I'm talking about. So, look at what it says in verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. This is the way I word it. I'm going to give it to you in my own words. God veils his awesomeness. God veils it. Now, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. In fact, when I was dating Verna, I wasn't going to veil my awesomeness. I was going to let her know how awesome I was. And you identify with me on that? I mean, I just, I put it all out there. And man, she took it. I mean, she took it. She took it hook, line, and sinker. But, but God is not that way. God veils his awesomeness. Say that with me. God veils his awesomeness. That's what makes him different. You know, I used to scratch my head. I say, God, if you want everybody to follow you, if you want everybody to understand you, why in the world would you veil your awesomeness? Because I wouldn't do that. I go, that's why I'm not God. But I really believe God hides himself. Listen to me. God hides himself to permit us to hide from him. Remember the Garden of Eden? After Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? They hid from God. God allows us to hide from him. Why does he do that? Why does God allow us to hide from him? Well, he doesn't want to overwhelm us. God is a God that doesn't want to overwhelm. He doesn't want to war. He doesn't hold a big stick where he's there, you know, you obey me or else. That's not the God that we serve. There are many gods like that. See, that's what makes our God different, right? Isn't that, are you with me? This, you're, you're kind of quiet here. Oh, okay, so, so God veils his awesomeness. God hides himself from us because he doesn't want to overwhelm us. He doesn't want to war against us. He doesn't war, he do, as kings do, see. They, they may do it undercover, but they're, they're contending, see. And that's the nature of the enemy, right? That's why we're in war today, because there's a contention. And the enemy wars. He, he wars with the big stick. Sometimes it's subtle, but he is out to control us. See, God is not like that. See. He woos us. He doesn't war against us. He woos us. Can you say that with me? He woos us. Can any of you testify to that? How God woos us. He woos us through creation. As she read it. The heavens declare the glory of God. See? And we can respond to that. See? We respond to our God. That's how he rules. He will allow you to go to hell if you want to. See, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. Well, sometimes he does that too, doesn't he? I mean, he, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But the point is, are you with me this morning? See, he makes himself known to 
to those who seek him. He makes himself known. Remember, remember Jesus. Before I get there, I remember that Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I love that one line. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Veiled in flesh. See, so Jesus comes. Is he God? Yes. But he's veiled in flesh. Wise men seek him. Wise men seek him. Veiled in flesh. Does that make sense? And so remember that day, Peter's Peter's kind of intrigued. Peter's, Peter's taking bait, right? We don't have time to, you know, to track the, the record, but it's there in the scripture, particularly in John. Jesus comes to Jesus, Peter the first day. The first day, uh, Jesus sees him. You look at it, John 1. And he sees him and he says, your name is, he tells him his given name, but you are I will call you Peter. A name change. He's a, what does he mean by that? Well, we know God did change his name. Jesus, as, as Peter walked with God in Jesus, the veiled flesh, he became a changed man, didn't he? He became a rock. He was just running at the mouth you know, all the time. But Jesus changed. So remember that day... Uh, where Jesus wanted to use his boat and, and he, he preaches and he gives the, gives the message of the day. And then he says to Peter, he says, uh, go ahead, launch out. We're going to catch some fish. Peter, what did Peter, remember Peter's response? Said, no way, Jose. I mean, this, I'm a fish. I, I can imagine, you know, he's just like, yeah, right. Remember why? Because he had fished all night. There were, he knew there were no fish biting. That was, that was impossible. Cast your net on the other side, remember? Oh, yeah, okay, Jesus. Yikes! What did he do? He bowed down and he said, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. He was wooing him. He was wooing him. He woos us. See? And so many times we struggle, particularly as we see wrong going on. We say, God, why don't you do something? Here's the answer. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Does that make sense to you today? See, we have to keep in mind who we're dealing with. And this is helpful. It's helpful to me. I trust it's helpful to you. God veils his awesomeness. Secondly, let's move right along here. We see also, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Doesn't that sound good? Righteousness and justice. Okay, here's the way I word it. God reigns in absolute rightness. God reigns in absolute, unquestionable rightness because that's what righteousness is, total rightness. It's that simple. God reigns. Justice and righteousness. See, many times we struggle. We say, God, that's not fair. That's not just. We are exalting ourselves above God to question that. See, 
But we do it. We easily do it. We put ourselves in the God place. Well, that was the temptation in the garden. You can be as God, discerning what's good and evil for yourself. And we do it all the time. We're making judgments based on our reasoning. How ridiculous is that? I mean, like, like my reasoning is going to be the dictation of truth and untruth and fairness or whatever. See, I've got three statements that relate to God's reign is absolute righteousness that I want to test you on. First one, God is always right. Can you say that? Well, we can say that very easily here this morning, but walking out this door and a circumstance we run into before we even get home can cause us to question that. Can you say amen to that? See, God is always right. That relates to be able to say with unquestionable trust, God, I trust you. Even when I don't understand you, I trust you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust that you are always right. I want you to join with me in declaring that today. You may have a question mark, but I think it's good for us just to somehow move beyond that and just state that as a statement of faith. Are you with me? I see a couple of you nodding your head. God is always right. God, do you hear that? We declare today. God, you are always right. I may not understand. I may not like it. But God, justice and righteousness are the foundations of your kingdom. See, secondly, God loves me perfectly. Oh, wait a minute. Now you're messing. And I remember the day. I remember the day as a young married man where I came across 1 John 4.18 in the old version of the Living Bible. How many of you remember the green... Kenneth Taylor uh, Living Bible. Back, way back, I mean, this is back in the dark ages. But, but I, I read this 1 John 4.18 as Taylor uh, paraphrased it, and it reads quite a bit differently than the original version, but somehow that day, that word jumped off the page to me, and the Spirit of God just gave me a revelation. And this is how it goes. We need, now follow every, every phrase of this. We need have no fear of someone that loves us perfectly. That fear eliminates all dread. Uh, to be afraid. Let's see, how does that go? We need have no fear of someone that loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all fear of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he loves us. And when I read that that day, somehow God gave me the gift of faith to believe that that was true. And somehow I put all my weight down on that that day. And my life changed. Because there was always before that, I had come to God out of a sense of fear, what might happen if I don't. And that needed to be corrected. And that verse in that translation that day corrected it. I said, I don't have to fear anything of what he might do. If I'm afraid, it's, it's because I'm afraid of what he might do and shows I'm not really fully convinced that he loves me. 
And so I said, I'm going to put my weight down on that today, that I trust you, that you love me perfectly. And that has enabled me to launch out into the deep and to, you know, to do all kinds of things I would have never done because of the fear factor. So it's really the positive fear factor, the fear of the Lord in realizing that he loves me perfectly. So that, let's say that together. God loves me perfectly. This may be the first time that you can say that, but I think there's something that happens when we make a declaration in faith. God loves me perfectly. Point to yourself and say it again. God loves me perfectly. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, thirdly, God's will and God's way is best. God's will and God's way is best. Why? Because justice and righteousness are the foundations of the throne. We've already established he does everything right. And so his will is right. His ways are right. In fact, his ways are higher than, they're different, they're higher than my ways. That's what the word says. Do I really believe that? Well, not always. I find myself still, after walking with God all of these years, still wrestling with that at times. Do you? Yeah, but it's true. God reigns in absolute rightness. So, God's will and God's way is best. Okay, say that with me. God's will, God's way is best. We could spend more time here, but let's move on. Okay, third point. We see here in this passage, fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. Fire goes before him. Uh, It goes on and says in verse 5, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Well, uh, we we know the references from the Old Testament that kind of reflect some of that. But uh, this is my point that I get out of this. God deals severely with opposition. God deals severely with opposition. Let me say that again. God deals severely with opposition. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversary. That sounds pretty severe to me. Now, you don't have to turn uh, here, but if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down because this is a profound scripture that relates to this. Listen carefully. This is out of Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, because the sentence against an evil deed is not quickly released upon an evildoer. The hearts of the sons of men are given fully to do evil. See, because the hammer doesn't come down quickly, the evil people think they're getting away with it. And there's a lot of that going on today. See, isn't there? See, they, they think, see, they, they take God's mercy, and God is a merciful God. 
he just so loves to have an excuse. Remember at one point it says in the Word that if he could find one man, if he could find one man that would intercede and stand in the gap, he would postpone judgment. Thank God. But there is this principle of the cup of iniquity. See, a cup of iniquity, the Old Testament refers to it. And so evil deed, evil deed, evil deed, it's like filling the cup, filling the cup, filling the cup, fuller, 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 fuller. Have you ever done that? And, and, and actually, you can fill a cup or a glass of water so full that actually it almost looks like it's above the rim. Have you ever seen that? Where it's just kind of like a little bit of a, okay? It's that full. But suddenly, it's out over. See, suddenly. God deals severely with opposition. And see, we are fools to forget that. And even when we are on the other end and see the ungodly and the evil prospering, we, we, we can get disillusioned with God. But see, the cup is not quite full yet. It's not quite full yet. I would think, if I was God, that it was over full, right? But he is merciful. He, is on, he doesn't want anyone to perish, and so his mercy goes beyond any mercy that I would ever know. Thank God. But we have to remember, Romans 1. God gives them over. See, uh, God allows evil to go on. He, he gives evil over. He gives, he gives room. He gives room. He gives room. He gives room for evil. But finally, there is the cup of iniquity. Does that make sense to you? So we have to remember that. Even when we're seeing evil, it's, e- it's easy to get disillusioned with that and somehow think, God, where are you? God knows what he's doing. He is just. He is right. All the time. Is this making sense? Is this helping? See, we, we easily lose a lot of this in the scheme of life. But we come back to the words. Fourthly, I love this point. Num- verse 4. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. Point number four. God unveils his glory with sunlights. You ever see lightning out on you know, the dark night? It's raining and all of a sudden, it's gone. I love God's suddenlies. See, suddenly. How about the resurrection? I mean, the disciples are, I mean, they are in the basement. I mean, their hopes have been dashed. This Jesus that they thought was going to be the Messiah, I mean, he's in a tomb. Hallelujah. Resurrection morning. Boom! The suddenly of God, the resurrection. Hallelujah. We just wait and wait and wait and wait. And we say, God, where in the world are you? And then a suddenly. How many of you have ever experienced a suddenly? I mean, you thought it was all done. And there was no hope. And suddenly, as, a, as lightning, that's what the day of the Lord is about. Remember how we read about the day of the Lord coming? There's a suddenly, see. Uh, and, and the illustration, I mean, it can be. Remember the illustration, the word, how it comes? Just you know, unannounced, boom, there it is, suddenly. 
Hallelujah. That day is coming. Aren't, aren't we looking for it? Well, remember the Exodus. You know, the children of Israel in bondage. Year after year, more, uh, more bricks, less straw. And the groanings, the groaning, the cry, God, 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 God. But the Passover night, uh, suddenly, suddenly they were released and, and moving on to the promised land. It seemed like forever, but God suddenly, hallelujah. See, God has a suddenly out ahead for us. See, 2016, the year that we're in right now, you know, all of this that's going on around us, brothers and sisters, I believe it's contractions. See, contraction. There's something being birthed. See, travail, contractions. Feels like the end of the world, right, ladies? I've never been there. <laughs> but it feels like death. See, what feels like death in God's economy is often birth pangs of life. Let's look for the life. Let's look for the suddenly. God has them for us. Amen? Okay, now, second main point. That's giving us some fresh understanding concerning who God really is, contrary to public opinion. And we, as God's people, need to be clear on this because it's going to help us to get through what we have to get through. Okay? Okay, now, vital revelation from God there's more here, but for the sake of time, I'm going to give you two primary things that I think that we see in uh, beginning at verse 10. Uh, my Bible, first two words are hate evil. Hate evil. Is that what your Bible says? Verse 10. Hate evil. Say that with me. Hate evil. Hate evil. Okay, so mark that down. I see some of you taking notes. Hate evil. Why? Because it's about to be judged. The cup of iniquity of evil is getting full. See, God will judge it. God will judge evil. We know he will. But see, now we as God's people need to hate evil. Now, you know, we just saw the, the presentation relating to abortion. How many of you hate abortion? Okay, so, so you know, there's a lot of that out there to hate. But I think the word that I hear God saying to the church is we need to hate the evil in here. It's so easy to hate it out there, see, but forget that we are, well, as the old gospel song says, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Can any of you say amen to that? I mean, I've walked with the Lord for 60 years, but I'm still prone to wonder, as in stray. See? So I need to Hate evil. Okay, what is the evil? What, it, he talks about it uh, a little earlier in the chapter, and we just kind of skipped over it. But let's look at this. Uh, verse 7. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Now, we don't have idols typically that we bow down to, you know, as Baals or Asherahs or, you know, like they had in the Old Testament time. But we have our idols, don't we? Okay, and, you know, I think we've heard enough messages on that, so I won't, you know, expand that point. But uh, how can I tell what my idols are? Well, where does my mind go when it's not occupied on, on work and the things, where, you know, the have-tos? What are my, dare I say it like this, preoccupations? See, not my occupations, but my preoccupations. 
What does my mind go to? See, for pleasure and for all of these personal needs. See, because really any idol relates to a preoccupation with self. See, there are many life sources, many things that give me life that I would look to as a substitute instead of God. For me, and I won't go into detail, but just to show you how subtle they could be, uh, a big idol in my life, one of the big idols of all in my life, was Christian music, because I'm a musician. So Christian music, how in the world could that be an idol? Well, it was more important to me than, than God. See? Because I, was, I, I got my strokes out of music. I mean, it was the thing I was good at. It, was, you know, it gave me fulfillment. It gave me life. You know, it just, I had to have an instrument in my hand. If I didn't have an instrument in my hand, you know, for a day or two, I was a basket case. Well, see, it, you know, it could be that. It could be the phone. It could be you know, any number of things. People, see, people can be idols to us. More important, see, unless I hate father or mother. Uh, unless he is more important to me than, than my kids and all of these other things. See, and I won't spend a lot of time, but, but we, that's evil. See, it, it, it's, it's a competition with God. Not that it's bad in itself, but it's a matter of priority. It's a matter of what's most important. It's a matter of where I draw my life from. Does that make sense? God says, what do we do to do with it? Hate it. Now, here's another subtle one, and I want to just touch this one before I leave, this point of hating evil, just to show you how subtle it is. If we had the time, we'd go back to Matthew 25. Jesus here is speaking, and he's giving a parable of the talents. And just let me summarize it. The idea in the talents parable is that God gives us certain things. God gives us gifts. He gives us gifts to steward uh, abilities. Well, I just mentioned the whole thing of music. See, I don't know what your gift or giftings is. My, one of Verna's giftings is hospitality. Uh, you know, artistry. She's a poet. And, you know, so I, we all have been given gifts. But as Jesus is telling the parable, and of course the, 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 the person that was doling out the gifts, the, the landowner, uh, comes back and remember, uh, the one buried the gift, the other one invested and got some return, five talents, I think it was, and then ten talents. You remember that story? Mm-hmm. And when, when, the, when the master came back and the one that had buried the talent, do you know what, according to Jesus' words, was the response to him? He said, you wicked
they are. Are, are we being faithful to that? See, because God's entrusted. He wants to see us partner with Him to do something great for Him. See, and so if, 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 if we're not doing that, that's evil. That's wicked because it's a gift that's been entrusted to us. So you can see how subtly we need to really ask God to show us, like David, search me, O oh God, and see if there's any crooked way, any wicked way, any evil way. And it's so that we can get that stuff out of the way, that we can partner with him in this evil thing. Does that make sense? And then secondly, so hate evil, hate evil, hate evil. Look for it. Let God show you it. Ask him to show you what's evil. Because we're living in an evil day. And it's about to be judged. See? And so... God wants us not just to look out here and just make a cause out of that and miss this. And then secondly, he says, verse 11, light is sown like seed for the righteous. Now, I would like to take that and just reword it a bit to kind of parallel with the first of these two points. What was the first one? Hate evil. Okay, what are we talking about here in this verse, verse 11? Okay, talking about light. Okay, he says light is sown like seed for the righteous. Okay, let's word it like this. We hate evil. That's the negative. We sow light. We hate evil. That's the negative. So we, 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 we try and avoid evil. What's the counterpart to that? So light. So light. So light. I'm talking about S-O-W. So light as seed. See, light is sown like seed for the righteous. Well, because we sow it. We sow it. We sow light. See, God's given us. We are bearers of light, aren't we? See, so we sow light. We do it with the giftings that God's given us. Our time, whatever, sowing light. What does, it, what does it mean? What does it mean in practical terms to sow light? Where do we sow it? In people. People are the only eternal thing there is. <laughs> Everything that we see, that we, we invest in, this building is going to be gone someday. Your house is going to be gone. Your, so, your, your phone is going to be gone someday going to burn up like those Samsung. <laughs> Regardless of what kind of battery you have in it. I know it doesn't mean anything to some of you, but some of you it does. Okay. So, so light. See, invest. Invest. See, don't look at it as an expense. It's an investment. What is an investment? It costs something. But there's a multiplied return on the other end, right? Expense, you spend it, it's gone. Investment, you invest it, you spend it, but the multiplied return. See, so light. Remember that Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And what's the return on that investment? All the rest of the things that you get hot and bothered about. And he talks about those right in front of there. That's all added. This is one of the primary scriptures that God has given. He said, if you 
sow life, if you seek first the kingdom, if you choose to invest in people like Bridge Builders Church, I'm going to do right by you. That's the best insurance policy you can ever have. Life insurance, health insurance, whatever. You sow life. That's the best deal in insurance you can ever get. We've lived by that for years and years. When we, when we turned our back on a regular uh, weekly salary as a pastor and stepped out to oversee full time, we said, God, we believe that if we seek first your kingdom and walk in obedience to what we believe you call us to do without any guarantee of any money, you will be faithful. We are here today saying that was 25 years ago. Um, God is so light, so light for the coming dark days. See, there is the day of the Lord coming. You know, it's going to get darker and darker and darker. I don't care who is in the White House. It's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker. And uh, if we sow light, it's going to be okay. For those that sow light, so he's saying, light is sowing like darkness. A lot like seed for the righteous. In fact, uh, I like what Psalm 112 uh, says. Light arises in the darkness for the upright. Why? Because we've sown it. See, I can't see it like this, you know, along the pathway. So, so when I do something good, uh, you know, that, that, that's sowing into people's lives, loving them, uh, you know, spending time with them, investing in people. It's kind of like God, you know, when I do that, it's kind of like he plants that out along the way. So as I'm walking through life and I get into a dark place, suddenly light arises in darkness. Why? Because it, he planted it out there where I would need it. See, I don't, I don't, I don't need it when you know maybe when I plant it. But when I do that, when I keep sowing light, he plants it along the way so that I get into a place of neediness. Light arises in darkness. How good is that? But it, it, it requires us looking beyond the now, looking beyond the natural, looking beyond the things that we normally invest our, our money and our time and our interest in. Seek first the kingdom. You can't go wrong. That's the best investment you can So, Lord, thank you. God, we want to, I want you to come, uh, we want to sing a song. God, we, we thank you that you are speaking clearly to your people. And we confess it's so easy for us to believe the reports, the press. God, we so easily, uh, as someone says, sit in the seat of scoffers. God, there is so much scoffing, so much disillusionment, so much negativity out there. It's so easy for us God, to, 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 to sit and listen to all that stuff and lose perspective. Lord, Lord thank you so much that you are God and that we're yours. God, we want to be a people in this day that are able to, to, to hear and to walk in the truth in a way that will enable us not only to 
chosen for us to live during these days. And providentially and sovereignly chose us. So we know, God, there's an appropriate grace that you've made available to us. God, thank you that Bridge Builders is a people of light. In a dark place, in a dark time. We thank you, God, just as a little candle can make a whole dark room that's black. Light. Doesn't take a lot of people, it just takes a big God. In a small people, which is, you know, history, many times the way you work. So I pray that you would encourage, you would build faith in the God that we've just looked at. Like no other God. And we just declare that you're king. The Lord is king. Hallelujah. The Lord is king. Glory to God. You are king, oh God. You have the last word. Thank you, Jesus. A father takes a brown piece of earth. Something without much word. And he takes it. with your hand.